welcome to GuestCast. Tune in and listen as we speak to global education experts about the latest trends, challenges and stories that matter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the GuestCast podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Neil Statham, Head of PE and member of the Senior Leadership Team at Heartland International School in Dubai. Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us uh, this evening. It is for you in, in Dubai. You've been a really active contributor and generous with your time over the last 18 months or so. We've loved having you take part in our guest webinar series. You've contributed some, some brilliant articles and of course encourage anyone to go and dig all that out on guesteducation.com. And it's, it's great to have you on, um, uh, on with us now in, in podcast form as well. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. It's always uh, a learning experience whenever I do anything with guests, whether it's researching for the articles or uh, just getting a chance to link up with other great professionals who you've got on board as part of your network. So delighted to be here. No, it's great to have you. Can I just start? I hope you don't mind if I ask uh, how you are and, and how's your health? We were a bit worried to see that you'd made, made it into the news recently, probably in a way you wish you hadn't, um, after going for a simple run, which I'm sure you do all the time, landed you with a with an overnight stay in hospital. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, first of all, I'm fine now. And it was the yeah, certainly wasn't the, the fame I wanted, but possibly the fame I deserved. Um, I'd been on this crazy run streak uh, where I'd and it, and it started absolutely by accident where I did a half marathon one weekend with a friend and then we did another one the next weekend and then another one and before you knew it we were on the streak we'd done three in three weeks it became five it became 10 and we got I'd got up to 20 in 16 weeks so it was going was going great or so I thought and <laughs> I went for a run that morning I got up super early because it was forecast to be hot, but I started about 4.45 in the morning. The forecast humidity was only about 50%. After about five kilometers, I just I felt a bit worse off than usual, and it was 100% humidity. So I thought, right, just you know, don't go crazy here. And I felt okay. And then over, over the next couple of kilometers, I started to feel pretty rubbish. And long story short, I got to about 14. I knew I wasn't going to make it home and called a friend to come and help. And I, I couldn't make it to his car. Then things got embarrassing. Had so got the lifeguards and they brought a quad bike over and then got on the quad bike and he was going to drive it to the friend's car. And I sort of fainted black off the back of that. So woke up with an oxygen mask on. And I, I went to hospital. And thankfully, it was nothing more than heat exhaustion and dehydration. So I've been able to make a full recovery. And I've been for a couple of runs indoors since. But lesson learned, maybe just was pushing it a little bit too hard. So trying to build up slowly again and I'll be I'll hopefully be back on the half marathon trail soon oh god well it's good to hear you're better I guess lessons learned there I mean I guess in one way you can say you're leading by example to your students about the the importance of staying hydrated while doing sport especially in Dubai I, I didn't even know 100% humidity was possible um that's yeah definitely something we don't experience in the UK but uh, yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> no it's, it's good to hear you're you're on the mend and um and back back in your training um so apart from apart from that little hiccup how's your how's your summer break been how how are the preparations going for a, a school's opening next week i think are they again for the new year i hear that um you've had your slt hat firmly on today with the khda releasing their 
releasing their protocols. Can you share sort of any any top line things with us about those and how you and your colleagues are the challenges you'll face as, as a student start to come back to school next week? It, it's been a very different summer to last year because uh, I think last year when schools were reopening, we, we got the we'd been on distance learning. Obviously, we got the announcement on a, I want to say the fifth of July that schools were going to be open, and we got the protocols quite early on. So right. although that snatched the summer holidays a little bit because we were so desperate to just you know to get this right and get the school open perfectly. So this year we had a lot of downtime, um, and it's been a, it's been a really busy start to the time for us at Heartland. I think we. Our school role has grown by around about 300. So we, I think this time last year, we were looking at about 650 students and we hope to open with around about 1,000 students when we start the new year. So there's been lots of exciting planning for that with uh, new classrooms and new bits and pieces coming into the school and some some really great changes to the new academic year in terms of the protocols we've had from the, the KHCA. So we're thankful that they've... Uh, They've obviously spent a long time on these and they've made some allowances for competitive sport to start coming back in and for school swimming pools to open again. And these things are going to give education community a massive boost here for students, for parents. It's great to have these these sort of big wins and positive headlines when we're coming back after the summer. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, sort of the uh, direction of travel sort of going the right way and, you know, possibly a bit bit more of a normal start to the year, would you say, Robert, to, to last year? Yeah, I think so. And when we started last year, we were all we were all a little bit scared, even though we probably wouldn't like to admit it. And that was probably students, it was teachers, it was parents, because we just didn't feel like we had these yeah. protocols. That, um, about I think 146 of them ish, give or take. And you know, we had we were we were pretty sure we got it right, but we didn't really have any idea. And and it was the same for schools all over. No one really knew how the logistics of it were going to work, you know, turning your school into a one-way system, taking yeah. out some some everyday things, not sharing. And I think, we've, you know, we've had these new protocols which are expansive and give a lot of scope for new opportunities. And we've got that year of experience under our belt. So I think whilst we had, it was a feeling of relief and hope last year because we were coming back to school, it's definitely up a level again uh, and a real excitement and buzz in our staff for sure about the uh, coming weeks. Oh, that's good to hear about the excitement. Yeah, we, you know, it's, you guys have been through so much, so much extra work needed, so much time. It's, it's, it's good to hear that the, the buzz is back. Obviously, you're, you're head of PE at Heartland as well. And you mentioned sort of return to competitive sports there. Yeah, I wondered how, how the pandemic has affected you know, over the last, was it two academic years, how not only PE lessons have been affected by, you know, social distance and things like that, but also team sports and students representing the school over the last 18 months, how that's been affected. I know from my own experience playing cricket and and football over here that the enjoyment is certainly taken away when you, you know, have to, can't use changing rooms or you're having to watch outside on cold, rainy days. Yeah, so how how's that affected participation at, at Heartland over the last year or so? I think the appetite from students is still there for sure. And in engagement, enthusiasm in PE lessons, whatever form they've taken, there certainly hasn't been a drop-off that I've noticed. And students have been able to access some sports outside of school, so it's been great that that's still been going on. But 
for me, it's massive that it's coming back because, you know, if I think back to myself at school and I see it in some of the children as well, you know, we're, we're, we're awkward teenagers, young adults, children even, and we're still figuring out who we are as people and who we are as personalities. And, you know, while you figure that out, you cling to things that you enjoy or things that you're good at. And for me, sport was always one of those things. You know, I, I wasn't particularly confident in school, but I was confident playing rugby and around the people on my team. You know, when we were playing, when we were training, it was a, a friendship yeah. group and it was a social circle that I could rely on. It was well within my comfort zone. You know, I, I knew what was going to happen. I knew roughly how training would go. You knew whether you had a good chance in games or not. And being not the most academic, it was an, an environment and an opportunity to shine. And it was a chance for me to add value to the school, you know, build my self-esteem and build my confidence. And some of those things and those memories have stayed with me today. And I think you can't overestimate the importance of that for some students. And it's not mm. just sport for some of them, it's music for some of it's for some of them, it's the arts. And it's great. And I think it's vital for these kids that they're going to get some of these opportunities again because it allows them to show themselves in in different ways and not reinvent themselves but show that aspect of their themselves to their teacher and to their friends that they maybe have yet and particularly for children who've joined the school or joined the new school in the last 18 months to two years you know some of them have been have been desperate to show what they can do and you know, I expect to see an instant widening and broadening of social circles as well, because students are going to be able to get out there, mix beyond their class and start competing with friends from other schools again. So mm. I, I, I'm excited on their behalf. I'm excited to get out there with them and I'll try not to live it through them too much. But, <laughs> you know, when I, I enjoy it because I see them enjoying it. So looking forward to some of those moments again. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was I was exactly the same. I recognised so much of what, what you said there in my school time. Yeah, and I feel, yeah, really sorry for, for the students. I remember, you know, some of my best memories at school were sports tours and going away. And yeah, you know, you, you do learn, you learn things from playing sport that you don't maybe necessarily learn at the time. So yeah, that's really, really positive to hear that they're going to start to get that, um, get those experiences back. As I mentioned earlier, another area of education that excites you is is edtech, and I wondered how you balance your roles first of all, and sort of your priorities, but also how two areas that you don't maybe immediately think are especially closely linked. Yeah, how they sort of you know come together. I wonder if over the last academic year, where technology has come to the fore whether there's any initiatives or projects or software that you've had to use that you think might stick around beyond the immediate future while we're still sort of battling covid and, and hybrid learning and everything else around the pandemic yeah it's, it's interesting we we had a, a bit of a secondary team meeting today and we were talking about what digital use might look like over the course of the year and you know we've been in a situation where you've had where it's non-optimal but required use where some of your devices and some of your capacity has been relocated or redeployed to other parts of the school based on need to support students who are learning from home, whether it was semi-permanent or whether it was temporary. And and some of the technologies kind of devolved down into conferencing tools, essentially. Mm. And they were, they were sort of substitution models. And I think if you'd asked me this time last year, we probably all would have said that you know the future's arrived. We're in the you know this is what 
the future of education is going to be like. And I think eight months later, most people had arrived at the conclusion that we might have been able to see the horizon, but we certainly weren't standing on it. It was a, a false horizon because <laughs> yeah. modern modern classrooms and schools just aren't really set up that well to do it. You know, Even something as simple as getting a speaker in your classroom that students can speak into and can hear the teacher at the same time that's clear for a student at home so they can take part in the discussion without lag and people talking over each other was was really difficult and mm. we tried you know we tried all sorts of things from conference microphones to lapel mics to bluetooth earpieces to multiple screens in a room and you know it we had lots of success but it just never quite felt right and uh, you know I've, I've spent a lot of time talking with other people about how that might be different in the future and some fundamental changes to school design uh, if you were going to set something like that up properly. So I think this is a good year because the last couple of years, if you sort of look at your expand contract, use has really expanded over the last couple of years. And when people were learning at home, you know, people were getting out there, they were trying new things. And it's a chance to kind of re to redefine it again, to bring it back in, for us, it's going to be a bit of a year of sort of standardising it and looking at quality of use now uh, when when people have spent most of the last two years on their devices, you know, looking for those yeah. redefinition, yeah. Um, you know, for steal from the SAMR model there, the tasks, you know, looking towards those tasks now that weren't possible before we had these devices rather than just some of the substitution style tasks which we've been, we've been forced to use. Something that something that I have really enjoyed that I've been doing with students and is exactly what we're doing now is we've got a recording studio in school, and oh, amazing where we haven't been able to do some of those assemblies and we've allowed students to start recording the podcasts. So we had uh, two or three different podcasts running out of the school last year, with the students and each other interviewing teachers, and we helped them set up a SoundCloud and a Spotify page so they were able to send it back home to family and things like that. So I think I think that's that's something that is exciting and something that the students really actually enjoyed doing and a lot of them found it quite therapeutic. So I think uh yeah pod podcasting was our our golden find from the back of this because it's easy for students to understand a lot of experience with technology and all you really need is an opinion or an idea and you're off and if you even and if you look at it in terms of oracy in, in terms of language acquisition and supporting students who are learning a new language it's a it's a massive tool so hopefully we'll do a few more exciting things with that this year and try and line up some good interviews for the kids to do amazing we like to try and make the podcasts a little bit more personal um rather than just keep it to the uh or the theory now so i wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about your journey into teaching and what inspired you to get into it as a profession and but also your journey into into teaching in dubai as a as an expat so it was a was never a lifelong ambition of being a teacher in fact probably the opposite i was sure that i wasn't going to be a teacher in fact i would go as far as to say i was adamant i wouldn't be one <laughs> uh, my mum was desperate for me to go down that road uh, I, and I just I never saw it myself at that point fire service was probably what I was most interested in oh wow um, we had a a family friend who worked for the fire service in Scotland so that I was fairly sure that's what I was going to do um, and I was then did a, a rugby apprenticeship when I left school so part of that involved coaching so 
a couple of days a week, I was going into local primary schools or rugby clubs and delivering coaching sessions and and did enjoy that and started to build up some skills and expertise there. And I guess over time, that avenue became more interesting. Uh, mm. I was do, then started to do a degree part-time as well in sports science, which I did enjoy. And then at that point, it was it was looking at career options and I'd done a lot of coaching. I had enjoyed it and softened my stance on it somewhat, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, I went straight on to a postgraduate course from university and I never really looked back after that point. Once I made the decision to apply, that was it, full throttle. Uh, studied in Glasgow and definitely learned a few things the hard way between doing my placements uh, in Scotland in some in some challenging schools for sure, but enjoyed every second of it, um, the good and the bad, and look back on it with fond memories now. And the Middle East thing, which again, I suppose was a little bit of an accident. My wife had been here to play rugby for Scotland a couple of times, and I came out to visit on holiday once she decided she wanted to live here on came on a secondment and then I was I went back to Scotland that winter and it was minus 14 and we couldn't go to school for two weeks because of snow <laughs> <laughs> enough's enough that's going to be more to life than yeah exactly yeah so I, you know, she she was living in the 30 something degrees I'd shoveled the drive clean of snow twice that day already and I wasn't doing it a third time <laughs> I just I'd, at the exact moment I was walking back from the shops, it was about a mile, but you couldn't get your car out and had a backpack of essentials. I'd fallen over and I just thought, no, this is this is it. This is it now. So applied for some jobs. Uh, I wasn't really sure what I was getting myself in for, but I, I was up for the challenge. And and that was 11 years ago now, believe it or not. And, and have had a great time since I've been here. And you definitely earn your money. You definitely work hard here but built up some great experiences, met some brilliant people. And it's definitely a bit of a land of opportunity. You find yourself doing things that you just wouldn't be doing if you were in the UK. So glad I've made that move. And anyone who's ha might happen to be listening to this, who's thinking about it, you've got nothing to lose, even if it's for one or two years. I would encourage anyone to go and try and live in a different country and experience a different culture. Definitely, definitely. I was, yeah, that sort of leads in well to my next question. Uh, from, you know, work, working on an education event in the UAE, we get a sort of small taste of, of sort of the, the brilliant community, education community that I think the UAE is, is sort of famous for. What is the sort of one thing that you think really underpins the education community in, in the UAE and what makes it so special? Ooh, good question. I I do think here you get to experience and work with such a broad range of cultures that makes for a really unique experience. And because this is a bit of a hub for travel and for commerce as well, and it's a place where a lot of people do business, you do find there are people coming from lots of different countries to work here, whether it's for a long time, short time, or they're just passing through. But there are so many people from so many different countries here that build up that population, whether it's as teachers or whether it's as students. And I think, you know, if you're if you're building towards a tolerant society or people who are more culturally aware of each other and of their differences, 
this is a great example of where it can work you know that having worked or learned from families who are from japan and what their cultures and traditions are and how they deal with situations at school to you know relating that back to what it's like in scotland and these little intricacies that you could live an entirely happy life without ever knowing uh, to me are are fascinating and it's also because of where it's situated as well you know if like me you're from the uk places like china or sri lanka or Indonesia are just seem so out of reach in terms of travel and in terms of cultural interaction and being that bit further round the globe has opened my eyes to you know the all the different experiences and, and travel opportunities that there are out here as well I, I think it's just a, it's a, a very unique place just because of the number of people that come and go and the different places that they come and go from that's such yeah, such a such a nice answer. Yeah, I think the world sort of needs a little bit more of that. It seems at the moment, learning from from others and and coming together rather than focusing on on everyone's differences. That's that's a that's a really great answer. I think well, the career low we might have possibly covered again with your yeah. sort of uh, senior leadership team hat on, inspiring younger educators. I wonder if you could tell us what your career low was or has been and how you overcame it and, and the lesson you learned from it and then we'll have that we'll have we'll balance that off with a, with, with a career high as well yeah uh, yeah I, can, I mean i can think of two very different ones um i remember <laughs> i remember a student teacher trying to demonstrate a, a sort of backwards tuck rollover on the hanging ropes and jumping up and missing the landing and just landing flat on my back and thinking <laughs> just, just looking for the exit yeah there's this class of you know 12 to 14 year old Scottish teenagers you can imagine they weren't very sympathetic. How, much, how much they enjoyed that yeah <laughs> yeah I mean uh, I took, an, uh, I took a, an, a justifiable noising up um, <laughs> career, career low is an interesting one I, I remember going for a promotion and I think it's a situation that can, probably has affected quite a few people and they maybe don't like to talk about it it's it's very difficult in schools where you go for an internal promotion and you don't get it. And that's happened to me. And I can remember going for my first leadership post and it was 50, 50 about going for it. But I thought, you know, I I think I'm in with a chance and I went for it. And then suddenly uh, he became very conscious because it was an internally advertised post. And you imagine the conversations that people are having and run away with you in your head and you think, Oh, everyone's, Everyone's probably looking at me thinking, who does he think he is? I can't believe he's gone for that job. You know, he's he's never going to get it. And it's it's fine if you get the job, but it's very difficult for people to turn up to work the next day when everyone knows they went for a job and everyone knows that they didn't get it. And if yeah. it's for an, you know, an external post, you can do that quite subtly or quite quietly and people won't even realise it's happened if you hadn't talked to them. But I remember feeling very self-conscious after that and sort of feeling a lot of doubt and thinking, right, well, I'm going to have to wind my neck back in here a little bit and, you know, keep a low profile and I guess I'll gradually build up over time. But I, I, I do think I let my imagine run away with me there. And if anyone's found themselves in that position or is maybe in that position or is recovering from it, you just have to dust yourself back off and, and get on with it and remember that you got the interview for that position in the first place for a reason. And if you got an interview, that means you were a, a serious consideration for that job and there'll be other opportunities for you. And it's, you know, it's led me to a better place eventually. But th- those situations, I always think in schools 
are, are tricky, difficult to manage, and, um, and and everyone finds them tough. I don't think anyone finds that situation easy. No, of course not. No, sure, and yeah, not just in in teaching. Yeah, in any in any um yeah any any job role, I'm sure this might be quite localized depending on where people work or what what school they're in. I was going to ask what is the biggest challenge facing school leaders and and educators at the moment, but maybe what what do you think the biggest challenge you're facing as a as a school leader and at Hartland at the moment and what measures you guys are putting in to help support with those, with those challenges two things and the, the, they're probably not necessarily challenges that we're just dealing with I think there'll be challenges that a lot of people are are mulling over one I think is the sort of growing body of research around screen time and screen addiction and the benefits versus the the problems and we're in a bit of a situation as schools where a certain amount of screen time is okay, but you're kind of competing with parents for the right to use that screen because children want to use it for certain things. You know, they want to use it for interacting with friends. They want to use it for gaming and for socializing. Parents might want their children to use the screen just to get a little bit of peace and quiet because they want to watch something else on their screen or it's a downtime tool. Yeah, but in school we want to use it for educational experiences, for for deepening learning, for giving access to opportunities that they might not have had otherwise, and we can't all have our way when it comes to things like that. And and people have very, very strong opinions on it. It's a, it's an emotive topic for some people, and it, it's difficult to change people's stances and positions on it. I, I'm trying to educate myself better on it, and. Uh, before I I really draw my line in the sand because we want to provide young people with great educational experiences but not if there's a a health risk attached so it's research that we have to watch closely I think over the the coming years and see what comes of it and to me it's a big threat for technology use in schools is that you know how we have to be very cognizant of how much and how often and marrying that up with how much and how often at home and trying to strike that sure. balance. The other big challenge, I think every school's fate, well, every, you know, everyone that works with children everywhere is um, keeping children safe online. We, we just joined up with the national national online safety, uh, which is a, a brilliant website. Uh, and, and there's some great content on there, but you know, the children that were, I did a presentation to staff the other day and and I was talking about myself as someone who fancies himself as being quite tech savvy. And my, you know, my youth was coming home from school, logging onto the dial up, um, <laughs> signing into MSN messenger, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> updating Bebo. And then um, maybe, maybe time for a game of command and conquer or football manager if I'd done all my homework. And, uh, you know, I sort of think, you know, I grew up with that in that generation where, People were learning the internet as they went, and and you had as much information as you were as your parents did, so you were kind of going through it hand by hand, and and I think I'm and I, I'm up to date, but I, you know, it, it's evolving at such a fast rate what you can do on the internet and what people's habits are using the internet, especially children, and the the dangers that are out there for them, and you know that's something that something that I think about a lot and something that I think will continue to be a challenge as technology gets more accessible as all the devices get smarter and more and more of them can connect to the internet Uh, you know as teachers in education we've got you know a real job on our hands to educate the kids 
but to put them in positions where they've got information to make the best and safest possible decision. Yeah, the, the advancement of technology is really scary. I'm, you know, I don't have children yet and I'm, I'm not a teacher, but I can even put myself in those shoes when I'm getting frustrated with my parents who are asking me how something works. And I think, oh my God, that's so simple. But, you know, when you think about it, there'll be something in 10, 15, 20 years time that, that I have absolutely no idea how to use you know it's 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 bound to happen yeah so I'm... yeah you know it's things like it's as technology evolves the appeal level changes for different people so you know there's some appeal to me in instagram and it's a tool that we use at school so i'm fairly au fait with what you can and can't do on instagram but something like tiktok for example that you know it's got no appeal to me whatsoever it's not something i'd use you're not personally. a big dancer no not so much not <laughs> But it, it's something that appeals massively to kids and they're on it all the time. And as soon as I think you get that difference in casual use and appeal, then that's where you start to get lack of understanding or gaps that people can exploit. Fortunately, we've taken on some younger staff this year so they can uh, they can keep me up to date on it. But if, if some, something I'm, uh, I'm rapidly trying to upskill myself on <laughs> at the same rate that the kids are. <laughs> I'm conscious how old I sound by saying <laughs> trying to stay up to date with the kids. Like when you start to say that, it's already too late. But <laughs> finally, um, a question. It's, it's a tricky one to end with. Uh, we like to keep keep you on your toes, but you, you may have sort of touched on it in in lots of your answers. But um, you know, looking forwards, where do you see the future of education, or what do you? maybe phrase it a bit more aspirationally what's your hope for the future of of education oh good question um i'm massive i massively enjoy the the cultural and the experience side of it i think um you know whether it was in my in my old school we did a, a rugby and netball trip to china which was brilliant and the, the kids had a great time on um and it was it's the learning it's the learning that they did outside of the classroom i think was the the most impressive part of that and the sport was what it was and the results were what they were but it was what it was what they learned by osmosis of going to a different country into a different place and i hope that as as research sort of starts to take over education and ai starts to make its way in and and it becomes more data driven i i hope that there'll still always be room for those cultural and social experiences for children because I think once they leave school and they get out there and they finish doing their qualifications or wherever they go to study or train the relate they have to be able to build relationships and work with people and be empathetic and be you know have that emotional intelligence and I think they build that up by experiences over time going on school trips, playing sport, participating in shows and concerts and all, all, you know, all the learning that's not done in textbooks uh, personally. And I, I think, I, I hope that it doesn't go too far down that other road where we become so connected and plugged in that we stop interacting with each other in those different environments. So although I'm excited about technology and about the, the benefits and where it can go for students, I definitely would describe myself as a bit of a tech minimalist still at the moment um, because I never think it should come in at, at the expense of those interactions. And we can we can have 
immersive experiences online, but we can also have really immersive, massive experiences just by going somewhere on a, 10 minutes down the road to a trip to a new environment. So that, that, that sounds a bit, maybe a bit old fashioned and maybe not what you'd expect from someone who's working on technology in schools. But, you know, for me, it's about maintaining cultural awareness, you know, social, social confidence, being able to interact with other people wherever you go in the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that sounds like a like a pretty good future to me. Neil, look, thank you so much for your time. It's always super fascinating to hear from you. We're really grateful um, for your time. And I really encourage anyone who wants to find out a little bit more um, about lots of the things you've discussed. We've got lots of content that, that Neil has contributed to on the guesteducation.com website. So please do check that out. But um, yeah, Neil, once again, thank you so much for your time. It's been a really great chat this evening. My pleasure. I'll see you soon, hopefully. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining this week's guest cast. Make sure you visit our website, guesteducation.com, the essential resource for educators to subscribe to the podcast and to enjoy the latest education news.